When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. What's up? It is the election day. So just so you know, we pre-record a lot of these shows. So on election day, a lot of things are up. Uh, By up, are you talking about blood pressure, frustration? (laughs) No, not for us, because we're in a room alone, away from other people, and, you know, at least we're with people we like. Yeah, by people, he means me and my other chins. (laughs) (laughs) And we get to talk about things you like. Food! (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say it like that. Okay, I meant food. Today's episode is about food waste. Since we're coming into holidays and, you know, you're starting to get to the point where you're at the last bits of what you had left from the garden, you're you're starting to try to make a little more with a lot less. We're going to start discussing that food waste. And I figured, who is better to have that conversation with than, than you? I, I agree. You know, I sideline myself as the human garbage disposal. But no, for real, there is a lot of things you can do with uh, your leftover food, whether coming out of a garden or just coming out of the fridge, you have to clean it out. Things maybe that are in your freezer for a long time, you need to defrost. There's a lot of different ways you can reduce your waste and get a little more of use out of some of that stuff that you spent your hard-earned money on. Well, and it's actually much more important than we think because, and of course, I've done my usual taking of notes, the USDA... When they they look at America, America wastes between 30 and 40% of its total food supply. Yeah. So out it's... of all the food produced, all, you know, grown, created, you know, processed, between 30 and 40% of that food never even gets consumed. Yeah. And that's not a problem that's unique to us. Most first world countries that have countrywide systems put in place for commercial agriculture and food production see similar numbers. That's amazing to me. That's for the United States, 80 billion pounds. I know I'm trying to make it so it doesn't make that weird sound in the microphone, but billion pounds of food is is not consumed. That's $161 billion worth of food waste. And that was in 2010. And I don't assume it got lower yeah i'm sure it hasn't gotten lower if you look on i think google's where i look the numbers are a little more updated you can get something as recent as 2018 but and keep in mind when it says food waste it means human human wasted it doesn't mean that it doesn't go for some other purpose and truthfully when it goes to land for other animals are going to feed on it pests and stuff like that well i have a list i have a list of the kinds of commercial food waste which you've hit on in the past because one of them is spoilage Mm-hmm. But another one is blemishes. Sometimes an apple grows and it just never gets to go to the store just because of the way it looks. It's a little lopsided or it's a bit small. I actually, I want to fact check myself. Okay. So on the last one we were talking about, or maybe two episodes ago, I was talking about those apples. And I got all hoity-toity in my soapbox about the apples. Well, <laughs> I found out that generally speaking, the deer feed apples that you see at places like that are apples that were that had fallen off the tree and were on the ground before it was time to be harvested. 
And because they fell off naturally and they went to the ground, they can't be used for human consumption. Okay. Yeah, well, so in a sense, that is preventing some waste because at it, least it's being used as you call bait. Yeah, well, it is. It, <laughs> you can, legally, you're not supposed to say that, but that's exactly what it's for. And truthfully, odds are that those uh, those apples probably wouldn't have hurt anyone that decided to use them as for a pie or anything. But to prevent any possible problems with the ground because of bacteria and that kind of stuff, that's what they're used for. And I didn't know that. I uh, My wife is the one that, that clued me in on that because she worked at the orchard for so long. So she yeah. told me that that's what they do with it. I didn't know. I love the fact that we can have fact-checking. That's so important. So if you hear anything that in this podcast that we say that you believe otherwise, send us a message, preferably with a link, because if I don't know, I want to know. I actually very much agree with that, because I'm never going to get better by always being right. I'm only going to learn from my mistakes. Yep, that's uh, that's exactly how I feel. I've, I think it's Neil deGrasse Tyson that says, never allow yourself to be the smartest person in the room. Luckily for me, I'm not. And it's, for me, it's a, it's a, I'm going to quote Gordon Ramsay. He said in his uh, one of his books, I'm not interested in all the customers that want to tell me how wonderful my food is. If I've done my job, they will come back. I want to talk to the people that hate it, that think there's something wrong with it. Because only the, only those people can teach me how I can improve and get better. Yeah, there's there's value in the words. If you can move the emotion off to the side, there's a lot of valuable information. Constructive criticism. I agree. So other reasons for food waste other than presentation or spoilage, there's, first of all, a lot of retail environments over order. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a massive over order. So they always have some available and then they end up throwing a great deal away. I agree. But I think that that problem is a, is a lot bigger than just retail. So if you look at your local grocery store, you have, ironically enough, the same grocery store I do. It's a big grocery store for a small town. Mm -hmm. So they have a very good fruit selection, good meat selection, good produce, and different things you can buy. A lot of people, I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of people go shopping. They have a list of things they they want. They buy those items with no real discernible plan as to what they're going to do that week for meals. So if you go into your grocery store to shop without an actual meal prep plan, how you're going to use the items you buy. It becomes very costly and increases your chance of waste when you buy produce, fresh herbs, that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. they don't really have a long shelf life. You see it a lot of times with bananas. Most people like bananas when they're still kind of green when they're really firm. If you buy bananas like that, you better eat them that day because the next day they're yellow. One day later, they're brown. Yeah, I just, I just kind of learned that with avocados, that when I buy five avocados i buy different shades of avocado because i'm going to want one today because it it piqued my interest i'm eating that avocado today but if they're all ready right now Uh then i'm going to have four rotted avocados agreed but in this situation whatever i want right now i better plan for those Uh and then the other ones are just slightly more ripe as you go (laughs) and over time they sit on the windowsill and and that's not a bad way to look at it but also think about your preparation i know that if i want guacamole I'm going to buy avocados that are a little more ripe that are going to be softer because they're easier to mash up. But there are the times where I just want an avocado with salt and pepper. I need it with a spoon right out of the shell. I buy the firmest, hardest one I can find. Do you? Yeah. Well, I do because I don't know when I'm going to eat it like that. Okay. So avocados will get soft and then they start to get a real gnarly earth, sometimes even a metallic taste. And when they get like that, they're... You can eat them. They're not going to make you sick, but they're not going to taste good. And they're also going to be brown. Yeah, I'm always at that point where it's just starting to soften, where I can feel the softness in them, and that's when I eat them. But uh, I have had some in the past that were still green, 
And I've had some in the past that were too soft. And yeah. you just kind of, eh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm not a but, fan. So we have bad presentation. We have spoilage. We have unsold retail, basically. Which, by the way, if you're on the Greeting Your Life page, we recently posted where Italy is no longer allowed to throw that away. All of that food, what would be waste, uh-huh. is donated at the end of every day. Okay, so that was started a couple years back. In terms of a, a countrywide thing, I'm not sure. But the program was started by an Italian chef who is probably the best Italian chef in the world. He's probably one of the best chefs in the world. And he essentially has this amazing Michelin star restaurant. It's a three Michelin star restaurant that had been rated the best restaurant in the world two or three years in a row. And he decided that there's there's still food, a place where everything's by reservation only, where everything is pre-planned. There's still stuff that was prepped just in case like mistakes happen that would go to waste. So he got together with a couple other chefs and they started supplying the soup kitchen. And they would take all their leftover food that was never cooked or used and they'd cook it for the homeless. Okay. Um, there's actually a documentary on Netflix about that called Theater of Life. He is, I'm actually drawing a blank on his name right now. Well, here's the deal. Uh, after this is all said and done, send a link and we'll add it into this podcast. His, at the his name is Massimo Batoro. Or remember it. But I think it's best if you still send a link because I, I, rewarding such good behavior is very important, uh, he, I think. Yeah. He is one of the most amazing, uh, in terms of a chef, every field of expertise in this world, there are people that set themselves apart from it. And then there are the people that should have the notoriety that don't have it. When it comes to popular cooks and chefs, he is the Elvis Presley, if not the Elton John of the culinary world. He is eccentric and crazy and, and in love with life. And the things he does is just remarkable as a human soul and as a culinary professional. Yeah, so we definitely want to have that added in then. Other ways that waste happens is failed transportation. Absolutely. You know? cooler broke down on the road kind of thing things a lot of times held up, held up at customs or you know held up at inspection there's insects rodents bacteria now granted usda does allow a certain amount of insect parts and things like peanut butter yeah well and you have to honestly yeah. when you're mass producing you're going to get a rat hair here and there yeah well you also have to understand though like and i i'm going to sound you know, questionable because I'm going to say things people don't want to hear. You look at restaurants like the perfect environment for those things. You're literally giving them everything they need in one roof. It's natural that if a infestation of rodents finds out locally, a mouse, a rat, whatever you have, that they can get a meal there. It's natural that they're going to go there. Your job is to prevent them there or to kill them if you find them. Right. It's no different than your house. It's warm. There's yummy food. Lots of places to hide. On top of all of that, there's also production mistakes, you know, and, yep. and I like to talk about the dumb, dumb suckers, the little, the little suckers that are barely any candy in them. You mean the free ones you get at the grocery store? Well, I don't, hey, that when you were a kid, I don't think they're free anymore, are they? Uh, at the Riverside of Montrose, they are. They always got a bucket of dumb dums for the dumb dums. <laughs> well, the mystery flavor. There's a mystery flavor. Do you know what that mystery flavor is? Coconut? It isn't. It is whatever the the flavor that was coming through the extruder. Okay. They just put the next flavor in, and, and there's so it's a, a period where there's two flavors mixed. That's actually that makes sense. I do that with um when I decorate cupcakes and I run out of one kind of frosting and I put a different kind in. You get for a little bit, you get this beautiful two tone double flavored frosting <laughs> that looks like it's intentional. It's just pure laziness. 
Yeah. And, but it's beautiful. And for them, it was a way to reduce their losses because they could still make suckers out of these. And they didn't know what the flavor was. So they just put a question mark on there as a mystery flavor. That's so, awesome. So prior to those mystery flavored suckers, that was just wasted material mm-hmm. and wasted food. But I still find it absolutely mind boggling that in the United States that up to 40% of the food that's produced, and that's not counting food that we produce that we turn to fuel. We meant it as food and it never was eaten or consumed and not, you know, shifted to dog food. This is, it is consumable and it wasn't consumed. And in the United States, our households are worse. We're 40 to 50% of the food we buy. And that goes to what I was saying earlier about planning to buy what you're going to use. I'm terrible about it. I am. And my wife and I are horrible with this. We'll get paid. We'll look at our bills and our financial obligations. And go, well, we got to go grocery shopping. Let's go grocery shopping. I'll spend $300. And on that $300, a solid hundred of it is fruits and vegetables. Very rarely is it like herbs. But, I mean, there's a lot of fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it's not used in a couple of days, it'll start to turn. Okay, but what's the point of me purchasing this? If I'm not home to use it or if she's not home, if we've got a busy week full of kids sports and things that take us away from the house from one o'clock in the afternoon to eight o'clock at night, that food's not getting cooked. It's not getting utilized. It's just literally I paid for it to throw it away. Yeah, I think there's a lot of times that I buy certain things because I buy certain things. I always buy this. Mm -hmm. I always buy the bananas. I always buy another head of lettuce or, or some romaine to go mix it, mix in there. But I've never planned what the meal is. Today, I went to the meat market, picked up what meat I'm going to have. We're eating much lower on the food chain now, so we're eating less overall meat. But then I I packaged it all up and thought, I wonder what I'm going to make for dinner tonight. You know, so I, I just went and spent all that money with no anticipation of what I was going to make. Yeah. And I tend to treat it like a discovery. What do I have and what can I make from it? You know, every single day with the usual suspects. I always buy certain things. I will say we're getting better. We're putting more effort into that because eating lower on the food chain means that you pick up your food more often. You're eating a lot more greens. You're eating a lot more veggies. You're you're spending a lot of time with the chicken and fish and a lot less time with the beef. You know, so I do have to plan a little bit better. And I've had to widen my palate of taste also. I'm very thankful for that. (laughs) We grew up in a place that was meat and potatoes. We grew up in a family that was meat and potatoes. That's true. And I carried that on for a very long time. I have never had that. I I meant what I said. I'm a garbage disposal. I eat pretty much anything. I'm starting to find the joy of salads. I'm starting to find the joy of... You know, adding sunflower seeds, adding the different textures and flavors. Uh, my my dressing isn't dressing anymore. I'm using red wine vinegar. Well, there is something to be said about appreciating flavors for the flavors they are. So the better the ingredient, the less you have to do to it. So if you like salads, like for me, I don't like iceberg lettuce that much. I eat it on burgers mm-hmm. and stuff. I just find it bland and flavorless. It's pretty much just a solid form of water that's not ice. I like my salads with spring greens. Mm-hmm. I love arugula. I think it's wonderful. It's got this little bit of a bitter flavor, and it's just beautiful. I prefer that. I do. I like that flavor. A little bit of vinegar, some tomatoes, a fresh crumbled cheese, like a blue cheese. I love fresh blue cheese. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm in heaven. It's a, it's a wonderful bouquet of flavors and scents and, and, and textures. And 
for me, that's just good food. It's simple. I don't really do salad dressing. I'm not saying I don't like any of it. I enjoy ranch, but... The nondescript everybody salad dressing? I dip pizza in it, yeah. <laughs> I, I go through a lot of ranch with bad pizza. Yep. I'm telling you. Well, and after going to Italy, everything we get here is generally pretty bad pizza. You're almost right. There are a few places that can still make a good pizza. Giuliano's in Bay City. There's like there's still yes. a handful of places that you can get a real pizza. It's just not the same when you come back. Oh well, no, it's not. But it's not going to be. It's it's a total difference of uh, culture in the way the food is produced, the way it's cooked, um, ingredients. The- well, yeah, the ingredients, okay, so the ingredients are huge because over there in those types of countries, a lot of stuff is locally sourced, locally grown, completely organic by nature. It's not, you know, pumped up with pesticides, picked before it's actually ripe, and then allowed to ripen in a bag. Something that ripens on the vine versus what ripens in a bag is not going to have the same level of flavor and texture mm-hmm. and, and vibrance. So a pizza there, we're talking like, if you're getting a pizza in Italy, you're getting buffalo mozzarella which means it comes from a buffalo not a cow you're getting buffalo mozzarella you're getting beautiful fresh made dough you're getting a pizza sauce that's literally just a pureed tomato with some fresh herbs it's never actually been cooked like it's a beautiful bright vibrant sauce every pizza you get is life it takes 90 seconds in a wood fire oven like everything about it is life it's an experience like there's Mm -hmm. so much love and heart that goes into that we don't have that kind of food here you can get it. There are high-end restaurants that do produce that kind of stuff. I just mentioned Giuliano's. Giuliano's is not a fine dining place. It's a takeout pizza joint that makes Italian pizza, and it's excellent. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to have to be a stop at, you know, next time I go to Bay City then. They have one called the Don Corleone that is, uh, it's, it's like thick-cut, hearty Italian sausage, fresh tomato sauce, fresh mozzarella, and arugula. Amen. Well, it, okay, so one problem I've run into with this slow dietary change that I'm trying to make okay, is keeping the greens, keeping the peppers, keeping all that stuff fresher longer. Now, I've learned that if I take celery and if I take carrots and I cut them up into sticks, I can put them in water and they will last way longer than they would have just sitting out. Okay, well, um, in defense, they're roots. That makes sense. Right. Now, I've, I've put a little bit of water in with the, the romaine or the purple lettuce. And today, it was terrible. One of my two, I, I always say heads of lettuce. I don't know what you would call it when it's not round. But <laughs> the mm-hmm. like with the romaines yeah. had froze. It had slid to the back of the fridge right where all the cold air comes out. And with the water on it, mm-hmm. froze it, which turned the lettuce into more of a mush Yeah, it's practically garbage at that point. Yeah, I had to take large chunks of it off. I wasted this lettuce trying to preserve it. So my biggest problem is, how do I extend the life of some of these veggies? Okay, well, generally speaking, a vegetable is any edible part of the plant that does not produce seeds, so it's not a fruit. With vegetables, it's not that hard. Because most of our vegetables, we're American. We eat our roots, potatoes, carrots, onions, that kind of stuff. They should last a good long time. Carrots have got to be in the fridge a very long time before they go bad. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is a tested way to extend the life of true vegetables. For me, one of my favorite vegetables is asparagus. Very short shelf life. You might find it sometimes and get a couple weeks out of it. Very rarely, but normally after a couple days. The one thing I will recommend is you do not keep your vegetables in plastic or any kind of container. Leafy greens are different. They need to be kept covered. But a vegetable, like a fruit, gives off a certain kind of gas that if it's contained, causes it to ripen faster. That's why you put bananas in a bag that turn brown overnight. Bananas give off the most of that gas. So asparagus, which 
you saw I cooked today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I have that in a plastic bag with a little sprinkle of water in it. Take it out. So what you're saying is, is I have just supercharged its rotting process. Yes, absolutely. So with asparagus, what I do is I take, a, like, okay, so reusable cup. I wash the cup out. I would just sit it up there and put that in the fridge, open, let it breathe, let it do its thing. But in also, the fridge still, though. But yeah, yeah, you want to keep it refrigerated. I am a big proponent of some vegetables do better on the counters. Summer squash or zucchini, which is very similar, those should go on the counter. There's no reason to put them in the refrigerator. Um, tomatoes, counter. Onions, counter. Potato, counter. All that stuff would be just fine. But also when it comes to extending the life, where do you look at what you're trying to do? You could extend the life of things you buy, mm-hmm. in theory, or you could just buy it more often and reduce the need to do that. Yeah, and that's the right answer is to be able to just, but we don't have the greatest options here. I would like to have more regional, local options. The place where I can get the extreme variety is when I decide I'm traveling to Lansing. Okay. When I go to Horrocks, that's where I get, and I don't get so much because I don't want it to rot. And I don't get so much that it's ridiculous, but I do go and get a large variety. You know, I know certain things will hold, but what I don't is like, for an example, they had a great deal on Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. And I would have bought a dog food size bag of those bad boys at a dollar a pound, but I know they're never going to last that long. And, or I don't think they're going to last that long. And if I'm doing it like the wrong way, as you're saying I am right now, those are also in a plastic bag with a little bit of water in them. Brussels sprouts are closer to leafy green. It is, in fact, a baby cabbage. So the two things you have to look at is when you buy Brussels sprouts, it still has the base on it, which that little base mm-hmm. part where it comes off the stem. Which I learned to cut off. Yeah, you don't want to eat of that. But <laughs> if you if you leave that on there while it sits in your fridge, they won't go bad for a very, very long time. There's something that's quite hardy. So you'll get a couple weeks out of them, honestly, as long as you don't freeze them. Okay. And you can leave them in a bag. More often than not, though, when you see them, they're sold in like a net. Very rarely they come in a plastic bag. Well, and at Horrocks, it's just as my son was laughing because he had been there for the first time now just recently. It's just a pile. It's just a pile. So you get the generic bag to put in what you want. Yes. Okay. And you take a large scooper. And just start scooping into this bag or selectively picking the ones you want. Everything there is self-serve. Okay, in that regard, yeah, you're not going to leave it in the bag. Um, what you could just, with the, like the asparagus, get like a reusable glass or plastic container, pour them in, leave the top off, let it breathe, let it do its thing. You have some flexibility because they will last a long time. But, I mean, nothing lasts forever. So it's, the asparagus gets eaten before the... Always. <laughs> Always. And don't ever allow the asparagus to get wet because it goes bad quick. So I need to get home, dry that, put it in a cup standing up with a little bit of water in the bottom? No water. No water. Dry as a dry as a bone. Well, yeah, I mean it's a fridge. Your fridge inherently is cold charged air. It's gonna be it's gonna be damp just being in there. Okay. So we'll get that changed when I get home. But okay, so we know the roots will last longer the the potatoes which sit on top of the fridge and if you leave them there long enough will will spring to life on its own more potatoes and same thing with the carrots and any kind of root plant so Mm -hmm. one of the ones that i always have trouble with is peppers i want about a quarter of a pepper every time i want some pepper on uh, on something red peppers green peppers whichever it is okay a bell for an example you know so 
if I'm cooking something up or making salads, I'm always taking a portion off. Then I wrap it back up in plastic and I stick it back in the fridge. And it it doesn't take very long, a couple of days, and you start getting that rubbery feeling. Mm -hmm. So is there a way to keep that fresher so that it doesn't happen? Or is this one of those ones that I need to plan to use the pepper? Well, I think that the obvious answer is if you cut something open, you can expect the rest of it to go bad faster. Okay. So when you cut, remember, pepper's a fruit. So when you cut through that skin, that waxy skin is its protection. The flesh on the inside is going to start to degrade and lose moisture. You can, what I'd recommend, is if you know, like, if you bought a bag of green peppers and you know you're going to use some for a salad, if you're going to saute some, fry them up, freeze them. Cut them up, get them the way you want to cook them, and then freeze them. I don't believe that when it comes to peppers and onions, it affects the flavor if you're just going to cook them in butter. Okay. Does it make them all, like, mushy and... Uh, to some degree, yeah, but when you cook them, that's what you want anyways. Okay. So look at it this way. When you freeze water, it expands. When the water expands, it destroys the flesh of whatever. So if you freeze an onion or you freeze peppers or you freeze your lettuce, it gets real mushy because on a cellular level, it's burst. Okay. So what I do with peppers and onions, if I know I'm going to have them for like chili or spaghetti sauce or anything like that, I'll freeze them and then I'll just pull them out. Same thing with garlic. I do garlic. Garlic holds up better, but I do freeze my garlic if I have too much. And that way, when I start to cook with it, as it thaws, you've expediated the cooking process because the body of the flesh of the item has already kind of been compromised. The flavor's all there. This is not an ideal answer. And I know the people that are like hardcore organic are cursing me when they hear me say this. (laughs) But I'm talking about what's realistic and functional for your house. And if you don't have the time and the money to shop for every meal every day... And let's say you go to the store and there's a great deal or you go to a farmer's market and they've got a whole bushel of peppers for a certain amount. And if you're not a canner and you don't have a family of 12 children, you have to use what you buy. Right. I believe that if you know the uses that you're going to use them for, freeze them. Same thing with cabbage rolls and like stuffed peppers. Instead of having to cook them for hours in the oven, freeze them ahead of time. Or you can take your cabbage, core it, and you can parboil it to expedite the process kind of give yourself a break people should be making excellent food at home but it's not your job to be a gourmet chef right i'm trying when you eat lower on the food chain and you're and you're and you're very busy it can mm-hmm. be very challenging to not waste mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables just recently i bought five black plums mm-hmm. four of them got consumed just four the other one got soft it got unappealing if you will okay and it got thrown into the garden so I'm trying to find that space where I, what can I get? How long does it last me? And it's because I, man, that those numbers about food waste are shocking. And I know darn well for years I've been part of that. That 40 to 50% of the food coming into the house going out. And it's not, I mean, granted, there's some of that as kids going, I'm not eating that. but It happens. But boy, that's a lot of waste. That is, I mean, think about, we just talked about embodied energy not that long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the the process of this food getting wasted, that that is way worse than the, than the single-use napkin. This is a, you know, in some cases, a creature that was raised to a certain point, butchered, gone through its process, you know, shipped out to come to my home to not be eaten, mm-hmm. is terrible extra terrible when something died for me to not eat it you know so i want to work on reducing that overall waste in general now most of the meats we're now slimming it down 
We're not cooking nearly as much on purpose. Everybody gets their portion, and if they want extra of something, it's the other stuff on the table. Mm-hmm. We still have starches and that are fillers, and now I'm starting to do the if the if the pepper's already cut, we cut it up into strips, and it can replace or add to something. That's a great idea. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, honestly, I mean, think about it. Like it's it's a fruit. It's not everyone's ideal fruit. It's not you know strawberries or bananas or apples or oranges. But a pepper is a beautiful thing. And so if you have it and it's going bad, or it will eventually go bad, then slice up and serve it to dinner. In my house, everyone but my daughter loves peppers. My daughter will not touch them with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) Well, in my house, everybody has a color preference. Okay. So I have one son who will eat the heck out of all of them. I have another son who isn't going to eat any of them. And I have a daughter who will only eat the red ones. Well, they're pr- the red ones and orange ones are a lot sweeter than the green ones. I can't yeah. blame her for that. I do use dinner sometimes as a garbage disposal. This stuff might be going bad. Let's cut it up and add it as a side. I think you should. I think that most people, if they were going to be honest with you, will tell you that at least once a week, if they're cooking every day, there is a throw-it-together meal. A what's-in-the-fridge casserole. Your spaghetti? Oh, no, you mean you mean just what is left? Yeah, like you essentially build a meal out of whatever you have. That's how you use up you know, leftovers and reduce waste. Um, one of the things that I, I do a lot is I'll look in the cupboard and say, well, what do I have that I can use for some kind of sauce? I'm a big casserole person. Do I like casseroles? Not really. But do I understand that you can make one and feed 10, 12 people with almost nothing? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> So I'll go in the fridge and say, well, I have one thawed chicken breast. One. Okay, well, what do I have left? I got a half thing of green beans. Okay. Got a half an onion left over for me to tacos or burgers. Like, I never Mm -hmm. used it up. I've got a half a bell pepper in a Ziploc bag. Or I've got two cloves of garlic. Or I I start picking and choosing all this stuff in my fridge. It's fixing to go bad anyways. And I start looking at things to do with it. Now, the obvious easy answer is soup. Soup and casseroles. They go a long way. So you can do a lot of things with the ingredients you have. A lot of times it's going to be unconventional. You're never going to find a recipe you want on Pinterest and use garbage in your fridge to duplicate it. That's not the way it works. You use what you have to make something to provide for your family. And it's a bonus if it tastes good. So really the answer is plan ahead. Always. You want to reduce waste, plan accordingly. Always. Better education reduces waste. If you go grocery shopping with a plan and the the secondary plan to execute the first plan, because that is a big part of it, you can say on Monday I'm making tacos, well, on Tuesday we're having burgers, on Wednesday we're doing this. Well, let's be real about it. If you know you want tacos, start with burgers on day one and then make tacos. At the end of the week, if you have leftover taco meat and a half pound of hamburger you didn't use, looks like you're having chili. Right. <laughs> I'm, I sound kind of rude, but I mean that. I mean, be, be real about it. Also, look at your time. Are you going to be home to cook? That's a big one. Mm-hmm. If you only have an hour home before the kids have to go to bed, you don't have time to really make a well-thought-out meal. You can make great meals in 30 minutes, but if nothing's thought out, if nothing's pulled ready, if nothing's prepped, you're going to spend an hour cooking. And while I do that, and I'm sure you do it sometimes, a lot of people do. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not ideal. Ideally, you want to prep and you want to plan and you want to plan to prep. Okay, I understand that. Well, through some of the research I was going through, they were talking about different ways to recover food. So one of those, of course, is 
to only buy what you're going to use. But again, I'm not sure if any of us ever really do that. I tend to see something and go, oh, that looks delicious. I don't know how I'm going to eat it or when, but I'm going to own it and we'll see how it goes. So that is the first thing they say is always have that plan, which is exactly what you just said. The you look at food recovery, the next thing is feed people, you know, because that's where mm-hmm. the food should go uh, when you buy it. The next one is if you have anything that can go to animals, feed it to the animals. You have, Absolutely. You have chickens. Yeah, and they eat a lot. <laughs> so you can take some of that. So what kind of things do you feed the chickens with? Everything. So here's the thing. Chickens are kind of like sky rats. They don't fly, but <laughs> they have wings. Um, I think ours have flown as high as maybe 10 or 12 feet, almost out of their coop. Okay. Um, it's more of like an assisted jump because they chickens don't possess the musculature to actually fly like a regular bird does, but they do hop and glide and stuff. We kind of feed them whatever's left. So like right now on my counter, there is a half dozen donuts that were bought over last weekend to go on a trip. They weren't all eaten. They've been sitting there for, well, this is what, Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Five days now. So they're about to get some stale sh- bread with sugar. Yeah, topping. they're going to and they will eat. They will eat anything you give them. <laughs> so prior to that, I had brought home a box of vegetables and a couple of fruits was apples, oranges, a couple of heads of cabbage some squash and stuff. And it was given to me free at where I work. Sometimes there's food donations to the employees. I brought it home. I used what I could. And then I had to work for 14 hour shifts in a row. So. Come Monday, the cabbage had been sitting out. It was probably past its prime when I brought it home, but it wasn't. I wasn't going to use it. Mm-hmm. It was past where I felt comfortable, so we just threw the whole head in there. It took them about a day to eat the entire head of cabbage. Okay, so it, it's very useful when you have your own livestock like that. So you're not. You're there's no food waste in your house then, or very do, do they not get meats? Do um, they get the food waste comes when someone doesn't think realistically about what they're going to eat, and this includes myself, and portions too much on a plate, or cereal's a big one, too much in a bowl, eats half, and then lets it sit there. Like, I'm not about to walk a half bowl of cereal with soggy Cheerios in it out to the chicken pen. It's not going to happen. If I dumped it on the ground, would they eat it? Absolutely. But I'm not going to do it. Or if someone, you know, we, we make dinner, we make meatloaf or something, and instead of getting taken out of the glass dish it's baked in, it gets put in a fridge safe, reusable container, instead of that happening, it sits there, it gets dried out. If we're thinking, it'll get sent out to the chickens. But there are times where it's not a matter of thinking about it. It's, hey, I want to clean the fridge. And then for that, you know, five or ten minute window, it goes right over my head that we even have chickens and I start throwing things away. Okay. It has to be a conscious effort. Do you compost anything? No. No? Is it mm-hmm. primarily for smell or have no need? Okay, so when we were trying to garden and i say trying because gardening takes a certain amount of work that we we weren't willing to really think about and put in um we i have nothing else to blame but our own laziness and ignorance to do it uh when that was happening i was taking eggshells and roasting them in the oven pureeing them Mm -hmm. and adding them to the dirt and then there are often times where i'd have a friend of mine come over and he'd rototill up everything together it's a really good idea and a good use if you're going to be growing a lot of things or if you just want to add nutrients to the soil. It, it is a very good idea. I don't really believe that we have enough waste on a regular basis since we have chickens now. We would even need to do that. Right. And also, because of the smell, I do not want to hold on to it until there is enough. Okay. Well, that that's understandable. For me, you know that I have these the above-ground beds yeah, absolutely. that I've created that I filled only maybe a third the way up. 
so that as I have chopped up leaves, as I have banana peels and eggshells, they just get tossed into those gardens year-round. And then at the beginning of every season, I till them back up, I lay down some fresh soil. You know, it just helps keep nutrients, especially when you're growing over and over and over again in an isolated area. It pulls so much from it. Even if I'm rotating the plants, it's... It's going to take a lot from the soil, so I want to put as much back as I can. Well, it does, and it takes... I'm not going to say that it takes more, but you see more of an effect with the way you garden because they are raised beds, because they're not in the ground, because they're not having that natural interaction with all the pugs and pests. And I know you get some, but the amount that you have in your yard in the grass versus what you have in the raised bed is going to be different. It's not going to be the same Mm -hmm. because you've created a whole separate ecosystem up here. Yep, with lots of worms. Yes, lots of worms (laughs) and uh, some rabbits because they can jump. Yeah. Yeah, you, you had to bring that up. I had to bring it up. Uh, and whatever that other creature, woodchuck, beaver creature. Woodchuck, was, not yeah. a beaver. <laughs> no, it, it's not something that you would necessarily have to really think about. I did a lot of reading in preparation for this podcast. I did a lot of reading on uh, monoculture, um, agriculture, and then monocrop agriculture, which essentially is the same thing, but you know, depending on how long it happens and whatnot. Because I believe that the best way to garden is to do a variety of things because each item offers the soil something different Mm -hmm. and also when you do it naturally with planning and preparation the right combination of plants can prevent certain kinds of predators or pests if you will now but i did this year for the first time companion plant good it was an utter failure well, that's how you learn. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. I listen. I I love how how well your garden goes on a, on a personal level because I get to eat the food, and they're oh my lord! Anyone that hears this, his grape and cherry tomatoes are delicious. <laughs> they are they're wonderfully sweet. They taste beautiful. Well, and every year we expand a little bit. So not only are you getting those tomatoes, now I've added in the strawberry patch. So. As t- there's there is five different species of year long strawberries in that patch that so I'm hoping year over year I get a little better at this I would like to do better at companion planting but boy was that an utter disaster this year well what what did you use your basis on for companion planting what how did you come up with the combinations you did well there's okay so give me two plants that contribute to each other on their output from their roots first for the soil. You know, for an example, marigolds mm-hmm. are great in any garden for multiple reasons. It gives nutrients to the soil, the nitrogen. It also draws bees in, which I don't have a problem with pollination because my neighbor has such a gorgeous garden in her front yard. Yes, she does. We, and it's been there for years. The you know We all treat bees very well in that area, so they're safe, and they mm-hmm. come. They are there all the time uh now my wife has got her infatuation with sunflowers in the front yard there's going to be bumblebees as far as the eye can see on our property so i don't have to worry about that i do have to worry about other predators but you know okay i can put clover in there and it will give those predators something else to eat but i can't get it out of there okay you know there's some like the garlics and things of that nature that you can throw in but they're invasive a lot of that a lot of those seasonings will just take off and grow and grow and grow Mm -hmm. I, i can't put certain things in because i rotate my beds so what i did was i just looked up what plants grow good together well okay just so you know it is perfectly great to have some green beans next to some tomatoes as long as they're not vines they will strangle (laughs) 
<laughs> Indeed they will. <laughs> you know, so little silly mistakes hurt me this year. Well, they're not necessarily silly mistakes if it's not something you're familiar with doing. That's what you call a learning curve. Yeah. Well, it, it, the goal was to reduce waste, and I guess if I didn't get as much, there is none. But next year, I hope to increase that, that total amount from my square footage. It's it's I don't like to waste the space like I did this year. Well, okay, I understand that. I don't think you wasted the space, so I think there were still moments this year where you were picking more than you could handle. Well, and again, I think we brought this up in the podcast before. I'm in, a, you know, I I have a luxury in this town. We have a a giving town, and we have a place for too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we have a community garden with a a stand that allows us to give to those who need it or want it. A couple times that year, I took them a bunch of yellow squash and took myself a few extra cucumbers. Okay. So if I can maximize my production in that smaller square footage. To help my community on top of mine? Absolutely. That's that's the best way to reduce waste, is feed someone else. I agree. I really do think, though, you should push for a functional farmer's market in this town. You mean not one with just jewelry? To some degree, yeah. I don't, <laughs> don't misunderstand. I think the handmade crabs definitely have their place at a farmer's market. I think that's a beautiful thing. But I think that the idea of a small town with a market with freshly sourced produce or maybe someone that makes fresh bread or does like jams and, and that kind of stuff is something that a lot of towns are missing. And I think that's a great place to network socially, to get to know your neighbors and to buy good food. If we had one in, um, in my hometown, if we had like a decent farmer's market, that'd be the only place I'd buy produce. Well, and this stand allowed me to stay local with my food because mm-hmm. there's nothing on that stand that didn't come from this town. I can go to the grocery store and I'm going to get something that was possibly flown in or brought in by train from oh, so cool. a long, long ways away. I can take my extra there from my town and trade it with the, the members in my town. By taking something from there. So I've, I hold a lot of value there because I think regional food is, is a huge importance in sustainability. Let's move on. I got to get to the dates you see on food. Okay. My wife, when she first moved, when we first got married and she moved in, I lost all that spare food. That, that cupboard in the bottom of stuff I may not really like. But if I didn't have anything else, I guarantee I'd like it. All of it. She went through date by date by date, (laughs) took all of it, and threw it out. Okay, so in the topic of food waste, this is a very touchy subject. Not what your wife did, (laughs) but the shelf stable. It's a little touchy. This this is good till 1995, but it was made in 1989 kind of food. (laughs) This country specifically has an issue with the concept of running out of food. Now, you can make your jokes, but that's why we're all fat and stuff like that. But there is literally almost no business that you can go to in this country without finding something to eat. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to your insurance, doctor's office, I guarantee there's a vending machine, there's a candy box. There's something you can stick in your gullet. And that extends to houses. What happens when you when there's a can drive? What happens? You clean out your pantry and they get all the cans of things you're never going to eat. Which, by the way, is terrible because the whole idea of a can drive and, and for a soup kitchen, they can't use one thing of corn, one thing of carrots. No. You know, they're, they're feeding a lot of people and that food almost always goes to waste, too. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a uh, soup kitchen in Saginaw and... If you go in there, not in to get a meal, but in the back, 
They have pallets and pallets and pallets of brand new food that are donated every day. There are times when I go in there, when I look at the tomatoes and the produce they'd have donated from farmer's markets, from Mm -hmm. local places, and I would just be appalled that it was sitting there in this room and there's way more than they can serve in any given day they serve 300 meals a day there's enough food that gets brought in every day to serve a thousand like there's just this just piles of beautiful food mm-hmm. that goes to waste and that's the place it gets sent so it doesn't go to waste right well when we look at those dates i think there's some misunderstanding I think yeah. that almost always when we look at the date no matter what the words say above it there's a date, and if it's past that date, it has gone bad in that midnight hour. Milk, for an example, the moment it hits that date. First of all, that doesn't happen in my house anymore. My wife and her kids drink a tremendous amount of milk. I, I, we may need a cow. But if it, hits, if it hits the that date, I don't know if it's a, a mind thing, people start to immediately sniff it. Oh, I think that's, I think that's bad. We need to dump that out. Yeah, I think that it's very much a mental aspect of it. And I I smell milk every single time I open it. I don't even look at the date. Um, and that comes from being raised in a household, being the only person there a lot of the times. So if we bought a gallon of milk, you didn't know if it was a week old or a month old. <laughs> you know what I do in that same household? I grab the milk and I, I shake, shake it. Because <laughs> that makes a difference. I don't know. I think maybe if you're shaking it, you're killing the bacteria. I don't know why. Um, I guess I guess if it's old enough and it is bad, if you shake it, it'll explode. You'll know. Well, yeah, okay. But uh, I, there's lots of things like that, that that I've done over the years as an adult. Sometimes I still get I milk. I still do. I still smell it. Um, and it's funny and it's kind of pathetic when you say it out loud. <laughs> uh, as for the dates, though, I am a f- firm believer that they have to regulate the dating system when they sell food to ensure the customer is always getting a safe product to minimize any possible bacterial infection risk. I totally understand that. It does not mean that if it says best if used by that in the moment that midnight hits, it's instantaneously going to kill you and throw it away. Okay. So if it's best by used by, Mm -hmm. what is that? Is, Is it bad when it hits the date? No, it just means that there's a certain time period allocated for the item to ensure you the best product possible. And once it passes that, it degrades. And you see that the most on like produce and stuff because they don't really know when it's going to go bad. Mm-hmm. Or things that you open that have a seal, like the fruit cups and that kind of stuff. A lot of things that say refrigerate after opening, best if used by. Because at some point, even with as many preservatives that are packed in these things, they're going to go bad. Right. It's Not everything's a McDonald's french fry. That's very true. I don't think McDonald's french fries even french fries anymore. So best of used by is a your peak performance, your peak flavor. Yeah, is it's prior a, to this day. It's a guarantee that you're going to get the best product for your for your for your money. And used by, just flat out used by is when it's perishable. When they don't recommend eating after that date. Yeah, and I think that that is one of those shake the milk situations where there's a lot of things that they're going to have that date on there. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's right or wrong. Well, that's their liability. And it's exactly what it is. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. It just means that they're guaranteeing it to this point. Yeah, because there's so many variables that come into effect when you're talking about food, especially fresh meats, dairy products, eggs, that kind of stuff that you don't know about before. All you know is that you go to the grocery store, it's there, you purchase it, and the moment you pay for it and walk out of the store, you can control everything that happens to it until it gets used or thrown away. 
but you have zero control and oftentimes zero knowledge over how it's processed and how it's brought to you. Right, right. So if you could leave everybody with one tip about reducing food waste, what would that one tip be? Meal prep and meal plan and stick to it. Okay. It serves you no purpose to pay for the food, to write the plan, to prep the food, to go out and get pizza on a Friday night. If you are budgeting your money and you are looking at your food budget as something that should be controlled with a tight fist, and it should be, Mm -hmm. for everything that you waste, there is someone in the world that would have appreciated that. There is some animal that would have eaten it. There is some hornworm that would have eaten the leaves off it. Like there is something living that could have used what you threw away. So look at what you're gonna what you're gonna use, what your family wants, what they love, what they enjoy, what they need, and their nutritional requirements for life. And prep it, plan, and then plan to prep. It, they go hand in hand. You have to do it. You have to allocate time for it. Okay. Well, and I think that's going to be something I'm going to have to work on. That's what I like about these shows. I think I'm going to enjoy these food shows because this is where I get to stay quiet, ask questions, and learn more than anyone because I'm not that guy. I'm not even always that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I personally, I learn a lot from these, and I love these situations where I get that opportunity, and I appreciate you coming in and sharing that, you know, that wealth of knowledge of how – especially for me, fruits and vegetables work because I have to rush home and solve some asparagus issues. You don't have to rush home, but I mean, you kinda, <laughs> you got to give them a little attention, tickle them, make them giggle. Well, I hope everybody got as much from this episode as I did. I absolutely appreciate the time, the knowledge, and everything that you've shared with us today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a comment. Share with a friend. If you get an opportunity, share it on social media. I think the more people that hear these kind of conversations, the better. And if you think you caught us in something wrong, let us know. You can send me a message on greeningyourlife.org or just in the comments. I appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next week. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. We'll see you then. This episode is sponsored by Melting Me. Join the star of Melting Me, Nicholas Nazarian, in his journey of weight loss as he tries to teach himself how to live a healthy life in a supersized world. This podcast is an honest and open look at everything from his real life struggles to his victories big and small. Come get your melt on with Melting Me on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. Now please enjoy the show.